So this is a heartwarming story, isn't it, of how Jesus intervenes to save the bridegroom and possibly the bride's parents some considerable embarrassment. And it's easy to read it superficially, and I've done that many times myself. However, as we unpack it, we see that it is multi-layered, and John often does this, with a number of important messages that John wants to convey. So let me first mention a few key points about the Gospel of John and also to provide some context because I think this will help us to understand the passage better. So firstly on John, of, <coughs> excuse me, of all the Gospels, John is most concerned with the individual, both in encounters with Jesus and in his teaching. So an example of this would be the I am sayings, I am the, the, um, the good shepherd, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Secondly, John focused on the words of Jesus, the giving of the Holy Spirit, abundant life and faith, and all of those are intertwined. And John invites the reader into this dynamic set of relationships. So that's the words of Jesus, the giving of the Holy Spirit, abundant life, and faith. And thirdly, John prefers to use the word sign where the other gospel writers always use the word miracle. And that's very interesting because, as one commentator puts it, it was not enough for people to believe in Jesus' works. They had to believe in Jesus and in the Father and John was pointing them to that. So what about the context? Well, I don't know if you've experienced any embarrassing situations in a, in a wedding or at a wedding. I can think of only one. Fortunately, it wasn't our wedding. Fortunately, it wasn't our daughter's wedding, weddings. Um, but that was when an arrangement of of flowers, very elaborate arrangement of flowers with a candle in the middle, in the middle sorry, caught a light. So you can imagine. And this was at the critical moment just before the exchange of the vows. So consternation, upheaval, disturbance, um, and distraction. And it was a considerable embarrassment. But that would have been nothing in comparison with the embarrassment that would have been felt by the bridegroom in Jesus' time. You see, weddings were far more elaborate events then than they are now, and they're quite elaborate now. Often they lasted for seven days. The whole community was invited. They were very big events. And to run out of wine would have been absolutely terrible. And bear in mind that this wasn't at a time when there were alternatives. You couldn't take out the bottle of gin or the whiskey or mocktails or cocktails or Coca-Cola or lemonade. So there weren't any alternatives. And um, in fact, it, it may not even have been only a social embarrassment, it may also have been a financial embarrassment because according to one commentator, and I'm not quite sure how this would have worked, uh, you could even be fined for such a gaffe. So it was both socially and financially embarrassing. Secondly, Jesus seems to be quite rude to his mother, doesn't it? The way he speaks to her, woman, what is this to you? 
But in actual fact, in the Aramaic and in the culture of the times, that wasn't the case. Interestingly, Jesus only uses the word woman on one other occasion, and that was when he was on the cross talking to his mother. So woman was actually a polite way to address her, and he was simply making it clear to her that he was no longer under her supervision, but from then on he would be doing what his father wanted him to do. Thirdly, and it's easy to forget this, the, the amount of wine was significant. This was equivalent to about 800 bottles of wine, and it was the best wine. So this is really emphasizing this situation. And fourthly, more just by way of explanation and context, uh, the miracle took place at Cana, which was the birthplace of Nathaniel, uh, who was called as Jesus' sixth disciple in the immediately preceding chapter. And the words, which are a bit confusing, on the third day actually mean on the third day after that event, after Jesus had called Nathaniel. So that's the context. But importantly, what can we take from this, this passage? Now, there are commentaries which emphasize different aspects. So, for example, the, the metaphors such as the transformation of water into wine as a symbol of the new covenant that Jesus brings to the world. The high-quality wine as a symbol of the abundant life Jesus offers to us. And the wedding as a symbol of the union between Christ and the church, uh, or even between God and the church, which goes back to um, Old Testament times, and particularly mentioned in, in the book of Isaiah. But I like the two overt lessons which are highlighted by uh, the theologian David Ford uh, in his recent book. And the, the two overt um, points were, first of all, the steward's statement, that you have kept the good wine until now. Now, I think this is variously people have said, I'll keep the good wine until the last. But it's not that. It's not the last. It's now. And this is one of John's typical multi-layered statement. Was within the story, the meaning is obvious, isn't it? But there's another dimension. You have kept the good things until now. The coming of Jesus is the arrival of life now. Good wine that does not run out. And also, this is the first of the signs. So what Jesus was saying, watch things happen from now. The second point is John's statement, Jesus did this, the first of his signs, as I mentioned, and his disciples believed in him. The learning of faith in Jesus is the whole purpose of John's gospel, and it's easy to forget that. If we go to the end, to chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in him, in his name. And John, throughout the gospel, draws us into one meeting with Jesus after another and invites us to understand more and to trust more.
So what do those two points mean for us today? The so what? First of all, you've kept the good wine until now. You see, we can expect God to work now. I would hardly put a wedding embarrassment in the same category as the feeding of the 5,000 or the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But it demonstrates that we can expect God to work in every part of our lives, in the small ways as well as the big ways. And it's easy to forget that. But to recognize that, we have to be alert to what God is doing, and we have to see God's hand in it. You may have heard the story of the man who was uh, walking along the beach with his dog, and he picked up a stick and he threw it into the sea, and the dog raced off, walked along the surface, ran along the surface of the water, picked up the stick, brought it back to the, the man. The man thought, oh, goodness. Did exactly the same thing a few times. And the man thought, this is amazing. You had to tell somebody about it. The beach was deserted, but for one other man who was approaching him. And the man of the dog said to the other man, he said, do you notice anything really special and unusual about my dog? And the man approaching thought for a moment, he said, "Um, actually, yes, he said, your dog can't swim. (laughs) And that's, it's very trivial, isn't it? But it illustrates the point that it's so easy to miss God's work in our lives. And I often make that mistake. I don't see God's work in, in my life, and I don't make the connection. I don't join the dots. Secondly, his disciples believed in, in him. How do we learn our faith? Some of you have heard me say that my faith informs my experience, and my experience strengthens my faith. And when we recognize God's works, and we see his hand in our lives, it builds up our faith, doesn't it? And it gives us more confidence. That was the experience of the disciples and those who came after, as time and time again, they saw God working miracles and transforming lives. That is a powerful source of strength and confidence for us, living today as we do in a world which believes in science, but not always in God. But there's another point which I think is implicit from from, um, John's writings, and that is the importance of remembering what God has done. After all, that's why the Gospels were written, isn't it? And I should add, with remembrance comes thanks. I was reminded of this only last week by someone telling me of an incident that had happened some time ago. And it was only recently that he saw God's hand in it and he was able to thank God for it. Look at the Jewish people and their commitment to remembering the, the, um, the Passover. And yet as Christians, often we fall down. On the 23rd of May, 1940, Winston Churchill uh, briefed King George VI on the impending disaster of Dunkirk. On the 24th of May, the king called a national day of prayer for the next Sunday. 
Thousands and thousands around the country flocked to churches to pray. And as events unfolded over the following week, there were four miracles. Firstly, when the German tanks were within 10 miles of Dunkirk, Hitler inexplicably called off the offensive. Secondly, there was a violent storm just over Dunkirk, and that grounded the Luftwaffe, which had been killing thousands on the beaches. Thirdly, word was spreading across England of the need for boats to cross the channel to Dunkirk. For what purpose, no one was exactly sure. Yachts, fishing trawlers, tugs, motorboats, hundreds of would-be skippers responded. Some had never been out of sight of land before. Many of the crafts lacked compasses, and none of them was armed. How many of us know that, or remember it, or thank God for it? And there was something similar uh, during the period of transition in South Africa. So to sum up, there's a verse from an old gospel hymn, which some of you may know, and which I think sums up very neatly what I have been saying. If we constantly remind ourselves of it, it will help us to recognize God's works in every part of our lives, which will build our confidence and strengthen our faith. And that's exactly what John would have wanted. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Amen.